Hello there, friends. Andrew with the Bangs here, and I speak with a friend of mine named Mercury. We met through mutual YouTube friends, and I've been on his channel, and I figured it was about time to have him on mine. We speak about the nature of reality. You guys, this one, put your, uh, put your open mind caps on, because it's going to be a ride. So Mercury is bipolar, and so we talk about his experience of reality and what is real. I think this is a good one. This is a really uh, unique take, guys, and I, I liked, I really enjoyed doing this, uh, this chat because I've never spoken with anyone with this sort of perspective before. And I'd say my lasting thoughts on Mercury are that he just has a really cool wisdom. So I'm excited for you guys to watch this. And oh, check out Mercury's uh, YouTube channel. It's called uh, Sorting Myself Out. And it's uh, it's got quite a bit of content over there. And leave a comment. And don't forget to subscribe. Without further ado, here is my chat with Mercury. Hello there, I oh, mid mid drink. <laughs> <laughs> Hello there, Mercury. Hi, Andrea. How are you doing? Good. I I love the timing because I just posted an interview today of uh, my friend Mars. My interview with him. Yes. And you're Mercury, and it's just sort of funny. It's all planetary themed. Uh, yeah, I saw that. I didn't get a chance to watch it yet because it was just a little while ago and I was getting ready for this. I but I thought that was a delightful synchronicity. Yeah, I know. So it's it's funny, those little happenstances that, well, that happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, okay, so I I wanted to talk to you about the nature of reality. And I thought it would be a good, like a good place to start so you are on the sorting myself out youtube channel but you specifically have um do you have a live stream segment called lunatic live and yes. i was wondering if you could give a little background as to why why that's the name okay so that started with um i guess i'll lead up to how i ended up taking over the channel was it used to be run by andrew and I had become friends with him and talked to him. Uh, he used me somewhat like a mentor often. And we talked about how what he was doing with the channel. At one point, he invited me on. And so when he was running the channel, I think I was on for three podcasts. Okay. But I think it was the first one, maybe. He just, I told him that, you know, I'm fine with anything. He could call it whatever he wanted. And he called it something where he referred to me as a lunatic, like a conversation with a lunatic or something like that. And so after that, people started referring to me just as the lunatic, like in comments and stuff later. Um, and that just kind of caught on. And so when I first took over the channel and the first live stream of mine that's on there is called a lunatics experiment in going live. And it was because the audience knew me better by the word lunatic than my name at that point. And the first one that's up there, I didn't intend to leave up. Um, oh. Something Andrew used to do was he would do live streams to talk things through and then take them down after. Okay. And so if you watch my very first live stream, it starts with me saying that. Me and Ryan had some issues getting the channel going and I went on late one night to get some audience feedback and was intending just to take that right down. 
Okay. Um, then people ended up saying that they wanted me to leave it up. Um, I did. And then I think just the next video is called something like uh, a lunatic second attempt. Well, why were you called a lunatic in the first place? Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm bipolar. I have bipolar type one. Right. It's a sort um, of like I'm irony strong, on the, the your your mental illness situation. Yeah. And it's for me, I've even like I've gone. I've gone past the accepting reality and working with it to embracing it. So I consider it a dangerous gift rather than a curse now. And everything I'm doing now is a result of the odd ways that I interact with the world because of whatever you want to call it, whether a mental illness or whatever. Okay. Um, what do you call and it? And so, yeah, I just, I fully embrace that. So to me, saying insane, crazy, lunatic, none of that's insulting. I'll say that I'm bipolar. Right. And then whoever I'm talking to, I get the sense of where they are. For instance, if I was talking to Sam Harris, I would say I was bipolar. If I was talking to Teal Swan or Ralph Smart or somebody like that, um, then yeah, I'd say that I'm the natural shaman that's commonly labeled mental illness now. Okay. So it would depend on the person. And if I say to someone I'm bipolar and they say to me, do you realize that's not a mental illness? That's, I, I'll just leave them with their framework. It's Ooh. people are like free to decide for themselves what I am. Who do you say that I am? Cool. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. So that's a reference to Jesus, in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> so, okay. Can you give us a little bit of a, a rundown on your perception of reality starting when things, when, when you first realized, oh, I'm not seeing the world in the same way as others? So, in 2006, I got hit by a bus, and that's what initiated my first manic episode that led to a complete psychotic break, where I was experiencing the end of the world. Like, just, I was completely out of my head. I was, it, you know, it built until I was, like, locked up against my will in an asylum. Um, I came out of that, went into an extremely severe suicidal depression that lasted about two years and so my first two cycles were three years long it's extremely long so it would be two years of depression one year of mania and after having gone through that twice the first two cycles i wasn't really learning anything from i didn't understand mindfulness at that point um i didn't understand what delusions were like i was caught right into it I wasn't learning from it. I was just being chaotically thrown about like so many people who are in mental hospitals. Mm -hmm. After I accepted it, which was difficult, and then um, as I was learning to deal with it, I went into pretty much total isolation. Uh, so I moved out into the country right near my parents' farm, got a small, they rented me a small farmhouse and I was put on permanent disability. I didn't tell friends where I was. Um, I didn't have a phone, no internet, no car for the first two years. Uh, I told my siblings and stuff, I couldn't handle seeing people. So I just saw my parents. Um, and then as I accepted 
and at a certain point, I just had to lower the bar all the way down to my goals in life are that I can't kill myself and I don't want to end up back in an institution again. And the path to surviving whatever my condition is required massive amounts of meditation, spiritual practices, mindfulness. And as I began to observe what I experienced, like as I learned to step back and observe things, and when I learned to stop judging everything, like both myself and what was going on, it just really profoundly sunk into me observing myself that I'm absolutely hallucinating reality, not just when I'm psychotic, but at all times. Before I was crazy, when I thought I was just observing reality, I realized obviously I wasn't then either. I was just observing, hallucinating a reality that was more stable. But even then, it wasn't steady. You don't live in the same world all the time. Think about when you're really depressed and tired. Life is a chore. Things don't taste as good. Like you're in a different world at different times. When you're excited, everything is easy. Pain doesn't hurt as much. You can stub your toe and barely notice it. The colors are brighter. The sounds are crisper. You're in a different reality. And even, I mean, and that's all something I came to on my own, like in all these crazy ways. But if you look at the work of um, Donald Hoffman, like he says that he shows mathematically and by applying game theory to evolution that it just shows mathematically there's 0% chance that we would evolve to accurately see reality. We are guaranteed to evolve to see fitness payoffs. Mm -hmm. So the way he puts it is that like reality is whatever's inside our computer. But what we think of as reality, our experience of it is an interface. Mm. And the same as on your computer screen, you've got your little trash bin. That doesn't mean that that's actually a tiny trash can located right there. The screen is in a way hallucinating an image that is not what's actually there, mm. but represents it to allow you to interact with something mm. that's beyond you. Mm -hmm. And I on my own realized, okay, obviously reality is vastly beyond us. None of us are perceiving it directly. Mm. We're hallucinating, mm -hmm. I guess, yeah, what you would call our own interface so as to interact with this world but everyone's interface is slightly different and our own interface changes the same way that you can alter settings on a game. So how did you know that pre-bus crash or bus accident that you were hallucinating then? How, how would you know? How could you come to understand that if you don't have anything to compare it to other than your own perception? because I examined my own perceptions closely and just realized that I absolutely have to be, well, just even watching the way it, like watching the way it shifts in myself shows me that I'm creating it. And if I'm creating it now, also then looking back, I could realize like, yeah, especially as a little kid, watch a three-year-old when they're sad and when they're happy, they live in a different universe. When they're upset, it's horrible and you're mean it's not that they're thinking of it like you're acting mean. It's mom is mean. They live in a world where mom is mean. I am. I you know, have a four-year-old. Yeah, I have a four-year-old, yeah. and it's yeah. it's very clear. <laughs> and an hour later, mom's an angel. Mm. And you know, they they live like it's always the way. We, but we get so caught up in everything. We're so caught up in the illusion that we don't question it. Okay, so how do you? If we each have our own unique 
interface like you were describing, how is yours any different than say mine? Me not having been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. How do you know you're not the average, not average, but that you're not the typical interface that other humans have? That's what I'm trying to. Okay, and so at this point, we get into whether or not we want to discuss it from a metaphysical perspective or a psychological perspective that, say, Richard Dawkins would be happy with. I'm more looking I from your from perspective. Both. Okay, you can you tell okay. me from your. I you it knew. From both. You knew it. Like you knew. Oh, I. I was seeing things differently. Well, differently. Differently is relative. But if we're looking at a, again, we're all individuals, but we're looking at a baseline typical. Red is red is red to, like we can each okay. point to the so, color red. And maybe it's instead right of trying to compare myself to your experience, I'll compare it to my experience before becoming bipolar, sure. whatever that is. Sure. So the difference with my interface is, and so this is either the delusion, What I'm, I'm gonna talk phenomenologically. Okay. So I'm not gonna define whether this is a delusion or a metaphysical reality. Okay. It's just what my experience is. And I have sub-personalities that each feel different ways about it. Okay. So I have an atheist sub-personality. But to me, the difference now is that I'm not always interfacing with this level of reality. There's okay. other levels of reality. There's various levels of heaven and hell. There's other dimensions like the... Uh, the morphic resonance field of Rupert Sheldrake or the collective unconscious or the platonic realm of forms, you know, Fantastica or Fantasia from fiction, the immateria, you know, those realms where thought or spirit are real. Mm. It seems to me as though I now connect to those as well. So it's like, and so maybe to think of it like before for me or possibly most likely for you, you're all connected to the internet that everyone else is and that I now connect to other networks on other dimensions. So it's not just that I interface with this network differently. I interface with this one differently because I've accessed others. And okay. now that I understand this dimension differently and now that I'm different, because the other way that you are constantly shifting reality is when your emotional states or your frameworks, your choice of perspective changes. Okay. That's what shifts reality around you. Um, I've learned the power of that and those things are all really, really turned up for me. So I now see more of the glitches in the matrix. And especially when I'm on the manic end, I start connecting to the other dimension and this world even like visually and it's happening just just the slightest touch right now because we're talking about it okay so what do you see everything begins to sort okay you're sort of pixelating now it's like you're you're more pattern of color than a face okay um, yeah reality's becoming more a pattern of color although i'm still making out your face it's blurry and it's like everything's vibrating a little bit okay and everything's a little further away it's like i feel half stepped out of my body what does that mean 
how to describe the sensation. Okay, did you ever watch Verveke doing his thing where you're supposed to take a pen and a cup? No, I ha I've done... I'm sort of doing a deep dive into Jonathan Peugeot right now, and Verveke's next. Okay, this is pretty simple. Do you have a pen and a cup with you? I do, but my or cup is full of water. I can still put it okay, in. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Okay. No, no, it's fine, full of water. Okay, I have and a I've pencil. Is my a pencil mug. okay? Yes. Like, for, it's like, scientifically, this is a probe. We're going to use this as a probe, okay. like a sensing object. And this will be the object we're going to examine. Okay. So set, just set it in front of you and hold the pencil in one hand. And then imagine that you're blind, so you'll close your eyes okay. and just tap the outside of the cup. Okay. The way a blind person would to get a feeling of where it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can and try to pay attention. Yeah. To how how hard the cup feels. Uh-huh. How tall the cup is. Okay. Now, keep just tapping the edge of the cup. Okay. And then shift your attention to the pencil instead. Oh. And feel how long is the pencil? Oh. Okay. How hard is the pencil? Do you see how before you were looking at the cup through the pencil? Uh -huh. Now you're looking at the pencil through your hand. Yeah. Now do it again. Wait, okay, which am I focusing on? Start with the cup again. Okay. And then move to the pencil. And notice your shift in consciousness. Now keep doing it and pay attention to your hand, not the pencil. Notice what muscles you move. Notice how fast your hand is moving, how hard you're gripping the pencil. Do you see how your consciousness is moving through levels? Right now, you're feeling the pencil through your hand. It's hard, but then though. you can move and feel the cup It's kind of pencil. hard to, to do the shifting more and more. Is that normal? I don't know. I'm the wrong person to ask about normal. <laughs> okay, okay. It, it was so easy when to I do say I'm cup. beginning to step out okay it's like as if mindfulness is learning to step back from your emotions and your thoughts and observe them as separate from yourself that's like one step back when I start feeling like I'm stepping out it's like I feel like I'm moving my consciousness back here okay. and I'm observing my body mm. in this it did feel like steps and it was harder it, from the cup to the pencil and then from the pencil to my hand, because my expectation is to be feeling the cup for some reason first. So I almost have to like take away that and be like, okay, we're, we're not doing that right now. We're doing this. Oh, we're not doing that anymore either. We're doing this. It's like a, it is a bit of a jump. And again, look how much reality seemed to change as you shifted your awareness. When you made that like the first time I saw you move to the pencil rather than the cup, you sort of jumped there. You notice like just reality changed. Right. I was really bad at the hand. I I I have to do that again by myself because it, it, it's even hard to forget about the pencil and be focused. That one I was the worst at. Okay. That's interesting. And it's the same thing also with our emotions and our those frameworks we create in our perspectives. Have you ever seen somebody like just jump up and down screaming that they're not angry? Someone says, calm down, you're angry. And they can scream, I'm not fucking angry. That's because <laughs> they're looking at the world through their anger. They can't see it. 
The same way that when you're looking at the cup, you can't see the pencil. It turns invisible almost when you're focused on the cup. See, and your hand is definitely invisible in a way when you're focusing the on the cup. most invisible. Mm-hmm. So when someone's yelling that they're not angry, they're all the way down in anger. If you could take one step back and observe the anger, now you don't need to look at the world through the anger. You can observe the anger itself and deal with it. See, I, I literally tweeted this out yesterday. I was telling my four-year-old again, uh, poor guy, he's getting he's getting brought up a lot, um, <laughs> yeah, that he was being rude. And he yelled at me, I'm not being rude, mommy! And then I'm just like, well, <laughs> but you are. So you stay on the stairs for your quiet time. And then, oh. and then he apologized after five minutes. Please. At least he's four. There's plenty of 40-year-olds that still <laughs> act just like that. Yeah, but it's so true, though. Like, he he believed that he wasn't being rude. Mm-hmm. He was just, it was upsetting. And yeah, that right to be upset. And like that idea that thoughts, people don't have thoughts, thoughts have people. Or people don't have emotions, emotions have people. In a way, he was possessed by that emotional state. Mm, mm-hmm. It had just taken him over. Mm. And it was one with his identity. So, so, how did you gain control over... You mentioned about how you gained acceptance over mm-hmm. what was going on with you uh, when you had moved out in the country. How did you come to accept Actually, it's funny. I think Nolan just um, made a clip. One of the, our uh, like volunteer interns just pulled a clip from some old talk of me describing exactly that. Okay. That he's just got to make the thumbnail, I think, and it'll go up on the channel. But um, it was, I was coming out of my second, or I was in the midst of my second two-year-long depression. Um, I could not accept that I was insane at all for the first half of that. It was just, I could not deal with it. I just wanted to kill myself. I wanted out and I could not. It felt like an utter failure of being. Um, Then I, my sister had burned me a bunch of CDs and one of them was the album. It was like a live recording off of a radio station where the band, the punk band Choking Victim were playing on some radio station and the CD's called Christmas with the Victim. So it was around Christmas and they were doing a live show. And I was listening to the album and uh, between songs, they started talking to the bass player, Sasha, about him being bipolar. Mm. And mm. he just talked, he, he was like the way I am now. Like it was something when it came up, they were talking, they were joking. You know, at one point the radio DJ or whatever joked, like, don't worry, I won't fuck with you. You got an army of lunatics. And I liked the band Choking Victim. Mm seeing Sasha just nonchalantly being insane and like claiming the exact same diagnosis as me. And he was accepted and was there playing as the band and being treated well. It was like, I realized, okay, I can accept it in him. Mm. It doesn't make me think less of him, especially as they talked to him about the shit he was doing. Like he was doing things, helping others and, you know, community gardens and all kinds of great shit. So that was the beginning of it for me. And um, I got the article, like he had written an article at one point about what he went through. And he'd also had a complete psychotic break where he was wandering through the tunnels under New York, like the subway tunnels, delusional. It was the end of the world, very similar 
you know, dragged off by the cops, locked up and medicated. And that was the beginning of me being able to accept it, but it took a long time. Then at that, it was about six months after that. And it was when I, and it was, in fact, it was him that it motivated me to get internet and to talk to some people like, uh, cause there are places you could reach him. Um, shortly after that, as I was coming, as I was in my first manic period after those first two years, uh, an angel appeared to me. And at that point, especially when it first appeared, I was like, oh, fuck, am I over the line? Like, I'm gone now that this is just out of control. Um, I got the feeling like, no, like, I'm pretty, I'm only half in this world, but I'm half in. Mm. And the presence felt really good. Mm. And so I thought, uh, okay, I don't know what this is. I don't know if it's a delusion, and I don't know if it's an angel. So I'm going to interact with it with both in mind okay. and say exactly that to it. Mm. And it was fine with that. Okay. And then from that point on, everything else that I've learned, I had that angel guiding me. Okay. So actually, there that connects really well. There's this quote from Harry Potter at the very end. Have you ever read Harry Potter? No, I haven't. Okay, well, it's... I'd be interested to. You I should. It, it's great. It's got so many, like, sort of archetypal features in it, you know, and, and um, I mean, it's probably why it did so well, is because it reaches into what we as people connect with in the, in the hero's journey-wise. But um, there's a part where he, Harry, is with his mentor. His mentor has died. And, um, oh, wow, I just gave that away. Whoops. Sorry about that. <laughs> who, who knows? Well, y'all, maybe, maybe, maybe you won't remember. He appears with him in King's Cross Station, which is where their train comes and picks them up, typically for school. And it's in the middle of this battle, like the final showdown. And um, but he, Harry, he, it's, it's as if he's, you know, been taken down. He has this sort of situation. I want to say vision, but we don't know. That's the thing. It, and at the end of it, he says, tell me one last thing, said Harry. Is this real or has this been happening in my, inside my head the whole time? And then Dumbledore replies, of course it's happening inside your head, Harry. But why on earth should that mean that it is not real? And I, I love that quote. I, I love it because it's so mysterious. But it feels true think of it this way everything that you are seeing like me which you perceive as being a certain distance from you on a screen mm -hmm. but you don't think i'm right there right right in your head in another way you're aware that i'm you even know i'm over in quebec you know roughly where i am you see how in your mind you perceive me here and you're aware of me over there yeah but even what you perceive is right there in front of you you know you're not, you know that that is hitting your eye mm -hmm. and those are signals going to your brain. Mm. And we could just put a different signal into that optic nerve. So what you're seeing is not outside yourself. What you're seeing is inside your brain. Right. Everything you're hearing is inside your brain. So everything that you experience is all 
inside your brain. That's how the matrix works. Mm. So in a way, what you could say is phenomenologically, everything that you experience of the universe is all contained within, inside your mind. Yet your mind is contained within the universe. Yet that entire universe is within the mind that is contained within the universe. This is philosophy, isn't it? <laughs> and this is where you get, um, and as within, so without, or as above, so below, in the mm. alchemical traditions. Mm. But so, yeah, what exactly is the difference between the inside and the outside sometimes? Well, it reminded me of what you mentioned when you saw an angel and you you had, you, you, you kept in mind this could be a delusion. I can't tell. Mm -hmm. It might be real, but I'm going to keep both in mind. Mm-hmm. And also, this could all be a delusion. We could be a brain in a vat. Yeah, there's that. That could be true. And you know yeah. what? Whenever people go over that option, they, they pass right over it. I guess they think it's boring. Like, yeah, we could. Anyway. And so, so also with how I've dealt with both the angel, but also all the weird mystical stuff I do and magic and weird spirituality. I examine it all through both lenses. And so my atheist subpersonality, for example, it used to be all conflict, but I've done, I guess, essentially subpersonality work and uh, have worked things out where my atheist subpersonality now, now sees that even if there's not a God, Nothing, you know, nothing to consciousness beyond this world, and it's all the Richard Dawkins model. Well, my brain's wired oddly, and I'm a destructive force out of control, letting me play my ridiculous little games and talk to angels and meditate for hours calms me down. I'm not a problem to anyone else. It makes me no longer a burden on the system locking me up. And so that subpersonality now is like, all right, look. I still think there's no reason to believe any of this, but I've watched. It calms you the fuck down. You're a monster at your worst, and this improves you, so fine, go ahead with it. Okay. Do you do you call do you call them subpersonalities on your own or have you, is this in psychology? For some reason I have a a memory that this is some somewhere in psychological like research about subpersonalities yeah and that's uh ryan's speciality my uh partner on the channel and he's right now getting his master's in jungian psychology and he's already trained in a few um methods of nature-based coaching and gestalt therapy and he's studied under dr roger strokin learning the subpersonality model so i had noticed the different parts of me i didn't call them subpersonalities but I had visualizations for them. I had taken naturally a more mystical and a more magical framework of interaction. But since working with Ryan for so long, I've begun, like, I label them as subpersonalities, although they're no less mystical to me. That doesn't limit them anymore. Right. Okay. So. Or even mindfulness or a lot of these terms, it's not that I learned those practices. It's I learned how to do stuff my own weird, crazy ways. And then later find out the term mindfulness and was like, oh, okay, that's what I've been doing. Okay. Or 
you know, when, when I met Ryan, or I mean, I'd heard of sub-personalities before Ryan, but, you know, the first time encountering that, it's, oh, okay, that's what this stuff inside me is. Or the same thing with lots of mystical stuffs. Like, when I come across the chakras, it's, oh, okay, those, yes, I can feel those energy centers, absolutely. And you find different traditions name the same things, different things, just like with God, whether it's Yahweh or Jah or whatever, um, the Tao, like... Once you get to know the things, like those energies, the archetypes, the realities, then whatever anyone calls them doesn't matter to you anymore. Okay. And even if they used a made-up word, or not made, you know, made up, it's something you'd never heard. You ask them what it is, they explain a little. You, oh, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. Once you know what that thing is, you know, beyond, like the idea of don't confuse the moon for the finger pointing at it. Once you know the moon, it's mm. easy to accept whichever finger's pointing. So now that you have seen these different ideas or energies or concepts iterated across cultures mm -hmm. and see them as pointing to like one, like the moon, for example, you know, by different names or by any other name. I guess I should have used a rose there. Smells as sweet, you know, such things. Having that knowledge, how has it changed how you see the world now or understand the world? Like pretty much in every single way. Okay, so I mean, and you know, we don't we have like tons of time. I'm sure you can t explain in a sec in in okay, a conversation. So one is one is I'm no longer concerned about arguing right and wrong with anyone. I really understand now. We're all living in different worlds. We understand things differently. The true reality is beyond all of us. I get that this is also a game and a partnership. I understand I have no enemies. Everything here is working towards the good. Um, I see the bigger game going on. So I can accept that some people are at that point in the game where they're playing the villain and they're not doing it to us, they're doing it for us. Um, I accept, you know, the idea, let those with ears hear that people are ready for different understandings of reality at different times. It's not a mistake, nothing's wrong here. This is what was intended. It's not my duty to impose my reality upon anyone. Yet it is my duty to share what I've learned from existing in my reality with anyone who wants to hear it. Mm -hmm. And so when I have a conversation with you, I'm not going to argue with you about the reality of anything. I want to hear what your reality is. Mm. Non-judgmental. Mm. I'd love to know what your reality is. And if you have interest in mine, it can be difficult to share through words. But I'm open to sharing as much of it as I possibly can. So... That's the interaction of life, is we're going around sharing with each other. And I see that all the conflict is an illusion. This is a game where we're all working together. I let go of outcome, like controlling outcome because of all this. Uh, I've The practice of magic, like its proper purpose, high ritual magic, is to connect to your true self, to find your true will with a capital W, and that's synonymous with the will of the universe. So I also realize that there, that solves the argument between predeterminism and free will, is in reality, you will eventually find your true will, and your true will is inseparable from the will of God. Therefore, suddenly, every act of, 
will that you exert is perfectly in line with everything that was predetermined. There's no difference anymore. Do you then subscribe to a sort of like fatalism, determinism versus free will then? I'm aware that's beyond me. I think this is something that like Tim Freak would call paralogical. I'm going to have to there look that word up. There are certain states... So it's like when there's a paradox where, okay, if this is true, it means this can't be true, but this is true and it seems to, that there's a greater reality beyond that They're both that true. creates that illusion. Okay. That there's something bigger that once you understand that, you laugh and the question's silly. Okay. Because there's something beyond us and there are states we can get into where you experience things like that, but it's a place where it's not the kind of thoughts you can put in words, it's the kind of thoughts that don't rationally make sense in a weird way yet make sense. And when you exit them, you can't hold that perspective anymore, but you can remember you were there once. And so I find a lot of things are like that. They're paralogical. Okay. Meaning it seems to be a paradox, but in fact, it's both true at the same time and it's and I find I think with certain paralogical things these are the things that allow us to set the options for the experience we want in fact if free will is anything it's that by altering the way we frame things we can alter our experience and it seems to me certain axioms and things like that certain perspectile viewpoints are options to experience everything differently. So for instance, if you want a nice, pleasant, easy game, you set the game on easy, you set it at, you know, or whatever, enemies can't do damage, this and this. If you want, a, and so for instance, you want that, um, you know, act in service of the good, follow the seven natural laws, you know, don't lie, don't steal, don't, you know, all of that. Um, and you'll find that you, fall into harmony with all of reality and that even the hardships are easier. If you want to set it on maximum difficulty and have everyone get away, like after you, like go around, lie all the time, try to try to get control of everything. Try to exert your will over the universe. And I don't mean true will, and you'll have a difficult time of it all. So these are like ways that we can select the experience we want here. Well, same thing with an ideology. It alters your understanding of the world. Um, it changes everything. Suddenly, what what at one moment was a friendly policeman <laughs> is helpful to you, a year later after a rabbit hole is, you know, sent by the FBI and has been pretending to be friendly to you, and he's, in fact, the biggest danger you're facing because he's tricked, you know? Mm. We can alter our reality with these things. It's interesting you're bringing up framing. I... I did an interview last week about emotions and the human brain, and I read, I did a little bit of reading that um, the uh, the friend of mine that I was interviewing named Patrick Lockwood, he sent me some like reading to do for um, prepping for the interview or whatever. And, and he was talking about framing. And I, I never heard of that before. I mean, I, I, I know the concept but I'd never heard it articulated in such a way. And I swear I've heard it five times since in the one week, like on Twitter or talking on the phone to my sister or like, you know, I, I just, 
it's like, oh, you're pregnant, and oh, everyone's pregnant that you see walking around. Like, you just happen to notice. I don't know if it's a happen to notice, or, like, you you were meant to see these things. I don't know. It could be a bit of both. But it it's... It's very interesting to me, the idea of framing and how you can change your perspective and understanding reality in a different way. And even understanding a new concept in a different way can make you see, even if you understand the universe as, you know, you you watch a science video where it does that thing where it zooms out from the city to the earth, to the solar system, to the galaxy, to other galaxies and then you know the known universe or whatever and you're sort of different at least for me that this happened to me I I think I was maybe around 19 the first time I saw a YouTube video of that and I I felt like I was different after than before because of the framing of like we're so small here's another framing one everyone will have gone through at one point you frame Santa Claus as real I never did actually as a child Oh, okay, maybe no, you did but... My mom never, okay. no, my mom was like, it's a lie. It's not real. Jesus is the reason for the season. But people, I do understand the, I understand the concept. Yeah. And then, so once you get that information differently, suddenly you frame everything differently and you'll look back on other things. And say, Wait a minute, that was dad or that was my uncle or that was, and all these other things make sense in a different way. All of reality, like, phenomenologically all of reality changes before when you saw them all Santa that was magical right now it's some dope in a stoop now it's whatever it feels like after and but even before you knew what framing was now that you understand it you look back you realize you've been doing it your whole life right mm-hmm. so that was the same way that I realized you know once I really understood the fact that I was hallucinating my reality now then it, you know, you look back and you see it everywhere. Also, once you look back and see, once you understand framing, now that's like as if you've taken a course at Hogwarts and you now understand a principle of how to alter your reality magically. You can now seek out better frames and alter your reality. And if you find a frame and try it and that reality is not better, you know you can keep looking. Whereas other people think there's no, they don't know what a frame is, so they're stuck with the one they have. Right. You don't know it's there, you can't change it. You can't change now it, you're you aware don't acknowledge, yeah. Yeah. And that's magic, it's reality altering, and it will transform you. So there are, there are some things that you're describing in this conversation that are very scientifically based, and then mm-hmm. there are other things that... A sort of someone who lives in the scientific realm for their framing, for example, would mm-hmm. totally push back on. Yeah. How you seem to be fine with both. Because I do see yeah. you you were talking about a sort of Dawkins perspective of your atheist subpersonality and the ideas of you know, just just evolution and different you were listening to different like scientific uh Claims of existence and and it sounded like physics or something like that. Um, I don't remember the names of them, but you you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, and there's things like the double slit experiment that you know begin to blend science and some of this weird stuff, or what Donald Hoffman says about the nature of reality. There's plenty there. 
Um, okay, let's think of it this way. Let's pick Harry Potter okay. as the example. So imagine a physical copy of Harry Potter. I could explain that book to you two ways. We could discuss what's in it. Harry Potter does this. Harry Potter does that. This person's in it. That person's in it. This is what the... F and then we can go deeper even than the literal story. We can say this is what the phoenix means. This is what he was feeling there. And in a way, that entire world that's in your head is what that book is, right? Mm. And at the same time, we could discuss that scientifically. And what's that paper made of? And where did that tree grow? And what elements of the periodic table are the page made up of? What's the ink made of? How did the ink dry and bond to the page? We could look at it historically and find out where we first began um, writing language, where we learned to use the printing press. When did we begin binding books that way? We could talk about the atomic structure of the materials of the book. There's lots of scientific ways we could examine it. And there's lots of literary ways we can examine it. Mm. Neither of those negate each other. All of that is true about the book. And in fact, a full understanding of the book, like to literally say, I fully understand that book. Well, you'd have to understand all of our reality to understand that one book, to understand how any one electron in that works. You've got to understand how all the electrons work and to understand what it means, what those emotions mean. You've got to, yeah, to even just understand what you are fully would mean you understand all the way back to the single-celled organisms. That's part of your history. And what's the edge of you? To fully understand you, we'd have to understand your family, and then we'd have to understand the society, and then the planet, and to understand Earth, we've got to understand the solar system, and then we've really got to understand time and gravity, although we also have to go inward with you. We'd have to understand consciousness, emotion, thoughts, and you'd get to where you have to understand metaphor and meaning. Um, perhaps the archetypes are real, someplace, in some way. But so I see it all blends together. It's that we're nowhere. This is one person's holding the trunk and one's holding the tail, arguing over how thick around an elephant is. Right. Yes. No, an elephant is this. No, an elephant is this. Right. Well, and that's the thing that I find in our in the in the West. There's in a, in a sort of in a post enlightenment way of looking at the world. It's very much the material. That's what's real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Doesn't mean the rest isn't. Right. And, and, and take it, someone like that and give them suicidal depression, which isn't real in the material world. Right. And have them deny that and say that doesn't matter. Say that's the least real thing. No, it's not. That's the most real thing. Right. Well, that's... I remember Jordan Peterson talking about these archetypes and how they're more than true. And that sort of, that seems to ring, will ring true with what you're describing about the conceptual and the socially constructed. Also, we can't have one without the other. I also think from a different perspective, what we're discussing now looks silly. They're part of the same thing. Can I don't think reality would hold up without meaning. Because again, where did all this come from? Well, it depends on where you're wanting to look. But I think where this comes from, meaning is foundational. Like, fuck, okay, what's the right metaphor for this? It seems to me as though 
reality expands outward from God, becomes more distant at different levels and becomes more differentiated. The aspect of reality that existed before the material plane existed, from my explorations, it appears that meaning and all of these metaphysical things are the fundamental foundation of the layer of reality that preceded this one. So meaning had to be there before the material could manifest because the material manifested from layers that are already constituted of meaning. The same way that in the Bible, earth came about after the angels. The angels were there first. And you can't make the lower level without the higher level. And that meaning is some of what the higher level or some of the higher levels are actually made of. But what if meaning from what from an outward in versus an inward out perspective? From the outward in perspective, whatever has meaning is what people say has meaning. Right? Like, okay. like, 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 uh, but like the outward in perspective. Yeah. You, you tried to just slip something by me. Did so I? The outward in perspective. Okay. Whose perspective is that? People. But then it's not really outward in. They're just, they're, they're experiencing their inner world is what they're calling your outer world. That's again, just another inner world. That's still not the outer world. Other people's perception is not objective. Like if you're saying you realize yours isn't objective, yours is subjective. Well, other people see me objectively. No, that's still subjective. An objective perspective. Now there's an interesting mystery. I would like someone like Dawkins to explain to me what an objective perspective would even be. Does it exist? Because the only one I can imagine is God's perspective. Like source, God, father, you know, whatever you want to call it, the all, that's the only possible objective perspective. If we really want to examine that closely, there's no such thing as an objective perspective without something metaphysical. Hmm. Why not? Why do you say that? Because otherwise, because then there is no perspective other than human. And if only human perspective exists, what's objective perspective? Every single individual's is different. Mm. So what's objective? Perhaps all of us put together would be objective. Then you're getting metaphysical now. What is this greater being that we're all the neurons and it is the entire brain? So perhaps a collective consciousness would be objective. That's metaphysical. Right. That's not provable, is it? There's no such thing as something not subjective inside of science. Even though it's trying to be, well, like you can say the numbers, the laws of reality are objective, but those are not a perspective. That's the only objective things in science. Right. We all have. Although I believe in the objective perspective. Okay. It's in, with metaphysical. It's the mysterious all. Hmm. Hmm. And then the objective perspective would also encompass, would be formed of every subjective perspective. Okay. Each one, kind of like Indra's net, you know, all these little jewels that all reflect the entire whole. And from that perspective, you are the center of your universe. So it makes sense why some people feel that way. 
Like you are the center. Any direction you look, like you're the center of your universe. If I'm to the left of you, that's because you're the center. I'm the center of my universe. Right. And also you'll hear some people say it's like a, a sphere. Every point is the center. Mm. Same thing with consciousness. The universe from the phenomenological experience. You can choose any consciousness. And yes, that's the center. Each one is the center. And they all reflect the whole. Well, what's the whole? The ultimate whole is God. And it goes up. I mean, you know, there's a hole perhaps to this dimension. And then, you know, like there's a hole to this planet. There's a hole to the solar system. There's a hole to this galaxy. There's a hole to this galaxy cluster. There's a hole to the universe. Most, it seems to me, most of reality's Russian nesting dolls. And as above, so below. And there's a harmony between it all. It's all interwoven. Hmm. It's all one great big work of art. And all put together, combined with the original source, that's the entirety of it. And that nothing's disconnected from source. That's the illusion. We experience disconnection from source. But it's impossible. Wait, what's impossible? To actually be disconnected. We seem, we feel like we are, from my perspective. But we're never, never are. You know, like it says, when I only saw one set of footprints, you know. No, God is always there. Okay. In fact, there's nothing but God. There's nowhere to go away from God. But then then that that brings up the, well, it depends on what you mean by God. Right? Yeah, and I, I'm defining it as the highest source. Now, I also believe in lowercase g gods. I believe in those. Why? Because I've encountered them. Okay, who? Oh, your name. Have you uh, have you encountered yeah, so, encountered Mercury? Yes, not so much in his own. Um, I more encounter Hermes Trismegistus, but he's made up of Thoth, Hermes, and Mercury, and like yes, they. It's that reason I took that name. I took it as a magical name. Um, I suppose that they're saying that their request is wrong. It was presented to me that that was the right name for me to take. Okay. Or a good option. How perhaps. did you know who they were? How did you know who I was? I we interacted. met you. I, yeah. And then said, who are you? Yes, there's introductions. And like Carl Jung, for example, he would go into deep meditative states and encounter the archetypes, and he treated them as though they were real. He didn't feel like he was imagining. It, you know, it happened as if the archetypes presented themselves and seemed to be living beings. And I'm not sure exactly what his stance was on whether that's psychological or somehow metaphysically real. Um, Ryan would know better than me on that, but... Still, it's I interact with angels and guides and gods exactly like that. Uh, in the ritual or trance state, um, in meditation, or just in daily life, the more... When I'm in certain moods... Um, actually, no, with my angel, I can communicate with it at any moment. I always feel it with me now. Mm. But it's... And depending on what state I'm in, I encounter them differently. So on the most basic level, I 
feel my angel's presence and it communicates with me, I guess, sort of telepathically, quite casually and easily. Is it words? In, Is it, or pictures? Or feelings? It's as if a thought lands there and opens. Okay, you know what you experience before you pick all the words? You have a thought and then you look for the words to express that thought. It's like the thought underneath the words. that, And, the, and that as you look at the thought, the words unfold. And then maybe one word comes out and you go, no, 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 that one's not quite right. What is it? Oh, okay. It's that. It comes in that form and often with visual as well. Sometimes like a metaphorical image, but also that thought explaining the image, which kind of unfolds into words as I examine it. But can't your own thoughts appear like that too? Yes, my own thoughts and that's subpersonalities. I interact with subpersonalities in very similar manner to actual entities. And I'm aware with all of it. I don't know which is which. But yes, my subpersonalities are very similar in interaction. They also have developed to the point where if I as my core subpersonality am talking to a subpersonality, um, yes, it's also it's very similar to talking to a god or angel, although very different as well. My subpersonalities do not carry the energies of gods or angels. And guide like spirit guides and totem animals and stuff are very different energies from angels. Angels seem to have different classes that have different energies and gods are quite the thing to encounter. I imagine. Do you think these are the same ones that say the Greeks experienced in their, you know, in, in their time? Do you think the pain you felt giving birth is the same as the pain women felt giving birth in those times? Well, I don't know. It was my own experience, so... I would say the same. We each individually experience this differently. I'm sure there might be aspects of it that are, you know, time changes. Like giving birth might have been harder back then, might not have had, you know, ways to deal with pain. They were living in a different society. They were framing things differently. I'm aware that each framework makes you encounter these differently as well. The same way that altering your framework here changes reality, it does that with other things as well. Okay. So different mystical or religious traditions plug you into different aspects of God or have you encounter it differently. Also, the same way that we all change what we're seeing. If we all look at the same painting, like literally the physical shape of our eye changes what we're seeing. How many rods and cones and whether we can see color. So we can all look at the same painting and see something different. Right. It's the same thing right. with looking through the third eye. We could all look at the same God and see it differently. What do you think of dreams? I think we probably go to a place. I think the dream realm is a level of reality that consciousness moves into seems to me that it's like malleable and I imagine that it's sort of like the way they say that an electron really is just a cloud of probabilities it's not actually any one thing it's this cluster of potential until you look at it that 
the dream dimension kind of dissolves into a static or an unformed clay. And that when a conscious mind moves into that, it readily and easily takes the shape of it. Is it real, though? Like, what do you, would you classify that as real or as a sort of simulation in our altered consciousness? Why would that be a simulation? It's just a different type of reality. And again, with real, okay, that's going to leave that up to you. Like, what is really real? Like, to me, what's really real? So, for instance, even if we're all brains in jars plugged into some sort of matrix, if you're really conscious, if you're really experiencing what you appear to be experiencing, then to me, this is real. Just like if, okay, just like I consider this Andrea, which I know isn't the real you, you're way the fuck over that way, but this is still real. This connection is still real. And what matters more than what you experience? That's the most real thing. What's more real about your child? The biological facts about their body or the emotion you feel towards them? What's more real? How many atoms they're made of? Mm. Or how you feel about them? So a dream. Also, what's the whole point of this whole reality? for the sake of giving us experience. What's your entire past? It's all there inside you. It's all real. because And it's what creates us. It's the stuff on the inside that shapes us. All those frameworks that alter reality are inside us. Also, all those ideas that created all of this. Language. The reason we're not just barking and screaming at each other and throwing shit and eating what we find is all because of this not real stuff that we begin to put exchange through language and symbol. But it's the meanings, it's the idea. What's more real, the idea of a chair or a chair? Mm. If we all still had chairs, but we lost the idea of chairs, we would all be sitting on the floor putting our coats on chairs. We wouldn't have chairs anymore, even if there were chairs. Mm. We would sit on the floor and have tables. However, if every chair was destroyed, so long as we had the idea of a chair, then we would have chairs. The chairs would emerge again. But the physical chairs would disappear, would stop being chairs if we lost the idea. So which is more real? Okay, I have, a, I have an example of something I'd be interested to hear what you think. So the idea of watching, say, um a movie star in movies or a famous YouTuber or someone who has a lot of content out there of themselves and being the viewer. And I know, I don't remember the name of it, but I know there is a name for the connection you receive when you are watching someone and they don't know you, but you're watching them. And, um, because it's a psychological name, but so they're, they're becoming familiar to you and, and you like them and that's why we have favorite actors and actresses typically because we, we've seen them in something before and, and we have a sort of bond or connection one-sided but it's real to you you know mm -hmm. it's real to you and but then you know situations where someone goes around stalking one of these celebrities and the person the stalker is like but you're real you, you spoke to me you, there is a connection. And I know if you just got to know me, like it is real, you know, like that kind of a thing. Well, 
it, it could be real in a sense, but it's actually not real in another sense. Maybe, okay. you, maybe you agree, like, yeah, there are two different types of real. Like, I don't know. But what do you think? <clears throat> okay. It's, what's coming to mind is the metaphor is from a different Alan Moore comic series, Swamp Thing, where Swamp Thing connects to the green, this metaphysical realm where it's all the plant life. He's an elemental. Like he's kind of like a plant god, mm -hmm. and he connects with this metaphysical reality that is plant consciousness. And he's got this powerful connection to it. It's where all his power comes from. But at one point, this other supervillain, the Floronic Man, who's also a plant being, um, connects to it. And when he connects to it, he hears the green tell him that humanity's a blight to destroy it, that they're ruining the earth. And because of his connection to the green, he can make the vegetation rise up and turn against humanity. And he comes in screaming that we, we need the silence back before there were all these filthy animals running around with chainsaws, all this screaming meat ruining the world. And then Swamp Thing comes up to stop him. And at first, the Floronic Man's so shocked. He's but like, but, but you're the god that connected me to the green. And Swamp Thing points out that he's not listening to the green. Some of these dimensions, they're, they react to our consciousness. He projected, it's like what we do when we project, he didn't have his shadow work done. So he projected all his insecurities, all that resentment, like Peterson says, that you've got to get rid of. He didn't want to do the self-work. So when he connected to a godlike force, he projected all his shadow into it. And it mm. echoes back. And it echoes back filled with the energy of a god and you experience like so in my earlier psychosis before i began doing my self-work i got bad advice you scream your shadow into a magical energy and it echoes it back to you dressed like a god mm. and if you act on that you're really gonna fuck things up and again so that was when i said i know that i dress this realm I know I don't see it clearly. So I do my shadow work. Mm. The more you do your shadow work, the better you see it. But also I know to always examine that. So the person, first of all, I do believe there's connections and I'm now experiencing it. There's people in the community who feel very strongly about me. I think especially because I do such open, vulnerable stuff and I'm working helping people. I'm now feeling the energies mm. of being connected people i think there are connections so if somebody's obsessed with a stalker or if someone has a stalker there's there is an actual connection there. there's an energetic connection i believe their higher selves are on some sort of collective consciousness level whatever framework people use there is a connection however those people usually aren't stable they have a lot of fucking need and because of that need they project onto that person that they can fill it because they felt some energy and because that's the only energy they feel it's got to provide them everything they can have because otherwise they're never going to have it. And for a lot of them, it's they need love and they need to be special and nobody else fucking loves them. Nobody anywhere. They're sure this star understands them and they need it to be true because otherwise they live in a universe where they're unlovable. Mm. And so they attach desperately to it. 
if instead of stalking that person, they went and did their self-work, they found their internal value, they integrated, they stopped projecting shadow, especially if they could get some sort of universal oneness or, you know, find Christ or whatever, suddenly, without, you know, anything else changing, they will still feel that connection to that star and it will have none of that dependency or weirdness. And they could even encounter that star and say, by the way, you're my favorite actor. And it's a funny story, but I was practically your stalker. And then I realized I was projecting. I did my self-work, you know, and they wouldn't scare that star anymore. Mm. So it's not that it's, is it real or not? It's real, but they're warping. it. They're confused. They're damaged. They're projecting. Okay. So they're warping. I see. Okay. So it's not that things aren't real. It's that I'm trying to work it out. They're misinterpreted. Right. They're warped. Right. We don't see clearly. It almost, seem, it almost seems like wiping things like that away. Like, oh, no, that's just not real. Like, that doesn't really help. It's like, well, it's real. It's real in a sense. And you need to work on it so that you don't get worse. It's acknowledging it, accepting. That's what you were doing about your situation. Mm -hmm. And I find that works even just like with people, where if somebody's got a problem with an ex or a family member or whatnot, like first you got to let them vent it because they got to get it out. And then especially if something's being done wrong to them, you got to acknowledge that. But honestly, also, if you know there's something else, you've got to say, you know, most people wouldn't feel that that was a violation of their rights and ask them, why do you? And you, it's very, you don't judge any emotional reaction and everything they feel is real, whether it's real or not, it's real. So if somebody's literally like schizophrenic and they hallucinate spiders and they're deathly afraid of spiders, those spiders are real. Mm. You just treat them like they're real, even, and you can even say to them, I know the spiders are real, but they're not physically real. Okay. They're real only in your experience. And that feels easier on the person. You're validating it's real. Right. And is there anything else you wanted to talk about? No, nothing in particular, I don't think. Uh, unless if anyone's struggling right now with, you know, what's going on in the world, uh, check out Sorting Myself Out. And mm -hmm. I'm doing a lot more interactive stuff now. I've been hosting Zoom parties on a regular basis. I'm doing a lot of private sessions with people. Cool. And uh, me and Ryan are working to put out more content right now. Okay. Um, and yeah, also, as soon as Ryan's got some time, we'd love to have you on the channel. And we were thinking it would be fun to do it live together, the three of us. So we could do a bit of a chat and people could ask questions sure. live throughout. Yeah, that would be fun. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Okay, excellent. So I'll make sure to put the Sorting Myself Out channel um, in the description so people can find you. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, Mercury. No, thanks for having me. This was fantastic. I always enjoy talking to you. Yeah, this was fun.